Sick and tired of struggling in a toxic workplace? How can we best create flourishing workplaces where people thrive and love what they do? Hi, and welcome back to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Ian Reid, Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. And our very special guest on the show today, Al Lopez, the author of this new book from InterVarsity Press, IVP America, called Road to Flourishing, Eight Keys to Boost Employee Engagement and Wellbeing. Al is the CEO and co-founder of the Best Christian Workplaces Institute, which provides research-based measurement tools and strategic advisory services with a vision to create the most effective workplaces in the world. Al served for over 20 years in leadership roles with Watson Wyatt, where he built programs for clients like Boeing and Alaska Airlines. And he currently serves on the Christian Leadership Alliance's Advisory Council. And Al joins me now from the States. Hi, Al, to you. Great uh, great to be with you. Thank you. Yes, fantastic to have you with us. And this is a fantastic book and taught me a great deal and answered a lot of the questions I've had for years working in toxic workplaces. Why are so many workplaces, Christian or otherwise, toxic? I believe it's uh, entrepreneurs that start organizations are very focused on meeting a specific need and uh, the people that have that need. And as they grow and become successful, they, they build organizations around them, but they, they don't change their focus from serving the uh, recipients of their, uh, of their ministry. And as a result, uh, they overlook, in many cases, the people that are actually helping them do the ministry. And we believe that actually leaders should shepherd the flock that uh, is under their care. And I believe their first flock is their staff, because if they're able to, to develop and work through their staff, then the organization can really then meet the needs of the, uh, of the ministry recipients, uh, the, the customers, if it's a, a, a business. And, and it's, it's a, a lack of intention really focused on culture because, you know, culture is really formed by leaders and employees have needs uh, just like uh, anybody. And if those needs and if they're being overlooked, then, you know, the, the, to- the culture becomes toxic. No question. I mean, that's, the, that's one reason that I've seen. Yes. In what ways is a, is a work culture and organization soil? You know, it's, uh, it's, we use the analogy uh, of soil, you know, I mean, from healthy soil, good things grow. And from toxic soil, nothing good grows. And, uh, and, and the soil for the organization is the culture. And Peter Greer, who has written the forward of the book, really outlines that in, uh, in a great analogy. He's in the micro lending ministry uh, business and has impacted people all over the world. And yeah, it's uh, from, we all know from a agricultural standpoint, good soil is the is the basis uh, for for growth and and culture there then therefore is the soil in organizations uh, from which good things for the employees and then through the employees the organization is able to flourish yes you've spent years studying this and doing this but how i wonder how you go about changing a workplace culture well, we believe the fr- there's three steps uh, that we've worked with and that have been successful. The first is discover. And the discovery phase is, is really just asking questions. Now, we've developed a, an employee engagement survey for 
Christian-led organizations, you know, that's churches or Christian nonprofit organizations or even Christian-led businesses. And, and that's a way to really get a gauge on the health of the culture. Now, there's other ways of discovery uh, that we oftentimes include because a survey will help identify that there is a problem. It won't tell you why there is a problem. So another phase of discovery is just listening through focus groups or listening tours in an organization. Or a third might be doing a a 360 review so a leader can see how their leadership is impacting others. So that's a discovery phase. And then it's an action planning phase because you, you know, in fact, again, discovery, what's the first job of a leader is to, to know the, the uh, situation that they're in and be able to assess it to uh, describe reality is the, uh, is the way many will describe it. So what's the reality? And then the second phase is, okay, build, let's build a plan to have a, a flourishing workplace culture. So, so based on criteria that, uh, that really help to define what a good culture is, and especially engagement, uh, employee engagement as a result of a good culture, we're able to identify what needs to be done. So, you know, from, from leadership development to management development to performance management types of uh, programs to, to rewards and recognition programs, uh, let's design those in the, in the build phase. And then there's the grow phase where you actually implement and uh, begin to benefit from uh, the implementation of the program. So it's uh, discover, build, and grow. We think that uh, that's an annual process. Uh, it's kind of a rhythm that every organization should go through. I'm going to come on and deal with the various key elements you've mentioned in a moment in the interview. And I want to ask you a bit about yourself, but I just want to bring in my co-host here for a minute because, Ian, you said to me the other day, one of the biggest questions you were asked by people you work with is how do I change my toxic work culture? Am I right? Yeah, they're not talking about my... They're not talking about you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be clear about that, right? Let's be clear about that, yes. We're, we're a very small church, so yeah. <laughs> the culture is very small in terms of it's just me. Uh, but, but yeah, I, we have an, I often have kind of parishioners and just other people just say, saying the thing that they struggle with most, they enjoy their work. They, they're really passionate about what they do, no matter what it is. Uh, but so many people come to me and say, I'm just really struggling with the culture at work. I don't know how to, how to help. I don't know how to change. The boss doesn't listen. I don't. It's not like I don't like the boss. I like the boss, but the culture that they set there that is just unhealthy and I'm really struggling there. I'm thinking about leaving. And, you know, here in the United States, uh, we're going through what's called the great resignation. And I know that's a different in different parts of the world where, you know, we've had 4.25 million people just leave their job last, uh, last month or wow. actually a couple of months ago. There's 10 million 10.9 million open jobs right now in the United States. I mean, so, so the, so people are looking around and saying, well, if I'm working in a toxic workplace, how, how can I find a, a better place to work? And, uh, and of course we all want to work. Probably we've all experienced a toxic, toxic workplace or one time or another in our lives. And, uh, we've also probably experienced a pretty good one and gosh, wouldn't we want to spend, we spend so much time at work. Don't we want to spend time at work in a, in a good culture? So, so it's again, 
understanding what the what the drivers are, as I like to describe them, or these keys to a uh, flourishing culture. And let's just take them one at a time and begin to work on them to do that. Uh, you know, we I describe culture as uh, how things are done around here, and it's really the shared values and beliefs expressed in priorities or decisions. Uh, and most of all, behaviors in an, in an organization. So everybody has a, a role in the culture based on their own behavior, but oftentimes it is the leader that has the, uh, has the most impact on, uh, on a workplace culture. So, so everybody can work together to improve their culture by just understanding what the keys are. And, uh, but then again, it's important uh, really for a true transformation that the leader be involved in that process as well and, and be supportive and, and participate in it. Speaking of leaders, Al, how did the best Christian workplaces institute come into being? That's a, yeah, that's a great question. It, it, um, I have a psychology major coming out of the university. I uh, felt called to be a Christian in business and I ended up as a human resource director and then working for a large international human resource consulting firm and then got into leadership myself as I managed uh, uh, practices in Dallas and then offices in Denver and then moving up here. And I live in Seattle. I manage the Seattle and Portland offices of this uh, international firm. And, and I, as a leader, I, I came to realize that uh, having a great culture was really important to meeting our, our clients' needs. And, and I would see, you know, and have been parts of, of lousy and toxic cultures and how, the, well, who suffered it? Well, it was our clients that suffered. So I wanted to create a great culture. And then I started to, uh, as a marketing program, more than anything, I, I, I started to work with the statewide best companies to work for. And I think you probably got, have something similar to that. Uh, so, and it's a, you know, and we used uh, our firm's employee engagement survey questions to identify who the best companies were to work for. And, and I realized as we were working with senior leaders uh, uh, that for the first time they could understand, oh, these are things that really make a difference in our culture. Well, then I had a spiritual experience. Again, I'd been a Christian for, for many years and uh, I just all of a sudden had a, an experience of almost a mystical experience, as uh, we might say in the faith. And I know that God then was kind of pointing me in a new direction. And I was able to, uh, uh, because of our, uh, the pension plan that we had, I was able to uh, retire early. And, and all of a sudden, just before I was leaving the firm uh, that I'd worked for uh, for 21 years, I got a call and I describe it as divine providence called and I answered the phone. Uh, it was really all that it was in Christianity Today magazine, which is a, a key magazine for Christians in, uh, in the United States, uh, wanted to do a best companies like article only for Christian organizations. And that's what launched the Best Christian Workplaces Institute. And, uh, and I'm, I'm forever grateful for Christianity Today because it was on the, on the back of their wonderful brand that we were able to get started. Yes, let's come on and look at some of these key elements that you've determined to, uh, or what creates a flourishing workplace culture. We've all worked in work teams. Some have worked well and others have not worked so well, but I wonder what makes a fantastic work team? Well, you know, we describe fantastic teams. So, so first of all, these eight, eight keys uh, 
spell the acronym uh, flourish and so fantastic teams life giving work and so on so that's a you know as ian would say uh, he needs something that he can uh, preach with you know so so this preaches because we've got an acronym that goes with this but and and before i go into it you know let me say that this is these aren't uh, my ideas of what should be what create a fantastic team this is based on research hundreds of thousands of of christian uh, employees have completed our surveys, and it was a factor analysis that grouped the responses of their questions into eight areas, eight specific areas. We just named what they were. So, for example, teams, you know, these are cohesive teams that engage in passionate, open dialogue. They function well together. They also accomplish more than any one individual can on their own. So we, we ask questions to help identify fantastic teams. These are teams that get along with each other and work well together within their area, also across departments, as well as then people that have the skills to manage conflict, because, you know, we all know in the Christian body, we have a tendency to be nice and not really address constructive conflict. And, and also, we want to make sure that we have people that really have high levels of uh, of excellence and focus on excellence in their work. So those are elements that we've kind of defined and, and or that we've discovered really create uh, fantastic teams. And, and of course, you know, the rest of these factors also kind of uh, build into the uh, importance of teams. How can we deal with conflict in staff teams? Well, I used to think conflict was kind of a negative term uh, or a bad uh, behavior. Oh, oh, we're having conflict. Oh, let's 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 shy away from that. And uh, I've come to realize that we need to actually be skillful at positive conflict because when when you actually you know as iron sharpens iron, well, what is that? That means that we we have differing differing views, and we have to understand how to uh, express those differing views to make something better. And, uh, you know, if we just agree with everybody all the time, oh yeah, that's good. Okay. No, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push back on that. I might not agree with it, but I'm not gonna, you know, cause uh, any trouble. I'm not going to rock the boat. Then, then you don't end up with the best outcome. And so we want to have positive engaging conflict where we, we talk about the topic, not, not condemning the person who's bringing it up. That's oftentimes the line between, good and bad, if you will, when it comes to uh, conflict. So naming it, describe, describing it, you know, making sure that it's uh, about the, the issue, the product, the whatever you're talking about, and not, not, uh, not about the person. Why is it important that our work be meaningful or life-giving? In, in Christian workplaces, this is, this is our competitive advantage in the, in the labor market, because, because we're actually able to demonstrate that the work that we're doing is significant. It has purpose. It has meaning and people really need, and everybody wants to have a sense that what they're doing is uh, meaningful. In fact, you know, because God creates us with unique skills, unique gifts, unique uh, talents, and then over time, unique experiences, um, he wants us to be in, in a situation where we're able to use those uh, gifts and skills uh, in a way that serves him, which I think is uh, full of meaning. And, you know, there's lots of ways to get to this sense of uh, life-giving work, this second factor. But it also includes, uh, 
having fun in the workplace. We actually asked the question, uh, you know, in my workplace, uh, we have fun. And, but that builds camaraderie, that builds uh, the sense of, of team. Uh, we also want to make sure that there isn't micromanagement uh, in the workplace, you know, where people feel like they can actually use their gifts and their skills. Uh, we believe that uh, having clear responsibilities laid out for people is a, another aspect of, of creating an environment where they experience that the work that they're doing is full of uh, meaning and purpose. And, and of course, our younger generations around the globe, they want jobs where they feel like they, they can make a difference. Yes. How is workplace culture changing? That's another question I want to ask you, because we're seeing a very radical change in uh, in the views of younger people coming into workplaces, aren't we? And that's that's one of the key things that we're seeing. They they want to they want to uh, be part of something that's bigger than themselves. They want to be able to make a difference in the world. There's a sense of more sense of a, of, of social justice uh, as we're seeing in this younger generation. Uh, that's coming into the workplace. They want to be part of and have influence in the work that they're doing and in their culture. And so they want to be engaged. They want to, they they want to be listened to and uh, to have their opinions uh, uh, respected and actually uh, uh, implemented as they work in the in their workplaces. Those are some of the things that we're seeing. They also, as we look at, you know, we haven't talked about sustainable strategy, but we, we actually weight each of these eight keys. And uh, over time, what we're seeing is the importance of a strategy or a sustainable strategy or the sense that uh, an organization has very clear of what they're trying to achieve, who they're trying to serve and help and, and how they're going to get there and what their goals are to actually get there. Uh, we're seeing that increase in value and importance uh, over time as well. And I think that, again, our younger generation really wants to have a part and, and feel like they're engaged in what the organization is all about. Let's talk about talent, Al. Why is it, and I've often wondered about this, why is it that employers don't value, or it seems to me frequently undervalue their talent? That's a good question. Why do they undervalue their talent? Well, you know, when, when you, we all know, and, you know, particularly in sports, you know, uh, for us to be, for any team to be successful, they have to have good talent and talent that uh, have the same values. I mean, that's the importance in a, in a Christian organization. And, and uh, so being able to identify, attract, uh, hire, uh, retain, to promote and to reward top talent really is important for, for any organization. And so in order to know what top talent is or, or highly qualified talent, uh, you know, there's different words for it, but uh, in order to know that we need to have people with uh, that are really rowing in the same direction to accomplish the organization's goals. And, and so we, we look at things like calling, especially in Christian organizations. Do people feel called to the job? We've just got a, a job opening and we're, you know, we're interviewing different people and, okay, so how do you feel called to this uh, job? And then we look at character and competence, uh, chemistry, and then contribution. So those are five C's that we uh, oftentimes will consider when it comes to selecting and rewarding and promoting talent. And, and again, when you've got great talent, people want to be on that team because it's going to be a successful team. Why is it important for an organization to provide growth opportunities 
to its employees. Yeah, so uplifting growth, this next one is reflects the relationship largely between the manager, frontline manager, and the employees. And and again, when it comes to growth, you know, where does seventy percent of a person's growth come? That's on the job training and uh, experience. And who has the most influence over that? It's the frontline manager. And so we see that uplifting growth, uh, because all of us uh, need to, and most of us want to learn and grow, and again have significance in our job, and 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 we can't stay the same and to be as uh, as effective next year and the year after. So we have to grow to meet the the needs of the times. But you know that comes through a, an important relationship with the manager, feeling like they're cared for, feeling like in fact having a manager that is capable of actually doing the work that you're uh, that you're doing, that they are mentoring you, or at least somebody in the organization is uh, is mentoring and and is concerned about your development. So you know many times people will join an organization because the organization has a great mission and vision, you know, have great values, but if they run into a manager that is toxic, they'll leave. And so that's a, that's a key role in any organization. So uplifting growth um, is a, is a lot around that connection with the manager. And, and as we've had uh, COVID and worked remotely, it again has reinforced, we've seen even greater the importance of the connection with the manager for people to stay in their roles. Mm. What makes an inspirational manager or an inspirational Uh, leader? Yeah. So, so as we've looked at this factor, you know, and, and again, from a Christian standpoint, inspirational is God breathed is kind of at the core, the root of uh, inspirational God breathed and Christian character is a huge part of inspirational leadership in Christian organizations. People work in Christian organizations. They expect their leaders to act like Christians. You know, how is that supposed to be? Well, you know, uh, you look at the fruit of the spirit, uh, love, peace, joy, patience, kindness. That's one way. And we actually ask that question. So uh, leaders in my organization exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you know, and uh, so so it's inside out, you know, is, is Jesus actually living in our heart? And are we are we exhibiting, has our behavior been modified and changed? Actually transformed is a better word to reflect the fruit of the spirit. So in Christian organizations, and I believe because God created us this way, that's true in every organization that we want leaders who are compassionate, who have integrity, who, um, you know, exhibit those kinds of qualities. So, so that's, that's the character aspect, but then there's also the competence aspect that's important. You know, one of the high questions, one of the most correlated questions to engagement is our organization is well-managed. And so what we find is when there's competence and, and systems work well in an organization, uh, relationships work well too. But when systems are broken and there's a, not any attention paid to the process, then that causes conflict and relationships get broken and that, that creates a, you know, a difficult and up to a toxic culture when, when there aren't good systems. So there's competence uh, is, is, a, is a key part of that because it's a combination of those that build trust between people. And trust is really the glue that holds an organization together, top to bottom, side to side. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's inspirational leadership. Why do so many organizations, it seems to me, uh, as I've traveled on through my journey in life, why do so many organizations fail to communicate adequately or even at all 
to, to their employees. Yeah, yeah, that, that's. Uh, I have a mentor who describes uh, the importance of communication. It's kind of like uh, leading a parade is the way he describes it, because over time, you know, a parade, you know, you start in the parade and people will join the parade kind of midway through, they leave the parade, new people are joining. And as people are marching through the parade, they actually, their minds get, are changed about different things because of their experiences. I mean, so, so communication is critical throughout that process to keep everybody marching in that parade together. And in the Christian world, you know, I was working with a large church and uh, we were talking about communication and they said, oh, we have professional communicators. And of course, they're talking about preachers. Uh, Ian, I don't know uh, if you consider yourself a, a communicator. And I'm like, well, he is a very no, good communicator. Yeah. Maybe not professional. Yeah, but he is very but, professional. Uh, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. And, mm. but uh, communication from our standpoint is not like preaching. That's, it's two way. So there's one way that's preaching, but you know, okay, are you listening? Are you acting on the suggestions of employees? Of course, that's what makes a good preacher too, because they are listening. They understand uh, where people are and they're trying to, to address those, uh, those issues and those needs. But so we see communication, you know, we ask the questions of leaders um, seek our suggestions, leaders act on our suggestions. We're actually involved in decisions that impact us. So, you know, it's kind of the serendipity. You get people involved in the, the decision-making process of the things that they are involved in. It might take a little longer uh, upfront, but, but it, implementation is so much faster that that and when you look at the full scope of it, things go so much faster and smoother when, when people are are involved in the in the processes when leaders actually seek and act on their suggestions. So, so, and I'll, I'll say, you know, I'm a, I don't know if you know your listeners, uh, I'm sure have heard of the Myers Briggs uh, personality oh, yes. uh, indicator, and there's other leadership tools. I'm a ENTJ. Um, I'm a natural, um, I think one of the terms, uh, commander or a field marshal, um, you know, let's, we're going in this direction and our people with that approach personality are kind of efficient oriented as well. And I used to think that it was disrespectful to repeat myself, um, because that would be a waste of time. I've, I've said it once. That's all I need to say it you know, let's go on, you know, and if I've got something else to say, it's kind of like the, you know, as we joke in the United States here about uh, our Scandinavian friends who uh, the husband tells the wife before they get married, I love you. And then they, 30 years later, they're in marriage counseling. And she says, well, he never tells me that he loves me. And he said, well, I told you once and nothing's <laughs> changed. <laughs> so, so, uh, but yeah, we just have to continually, somebody said, when you feel like you're You've communicated the same thing a lot. You're halfway there. <laughs> so, so true. So, yeah, that's yeah. That's, Ian, uh, Rito, questions for Al? Thoughts? Thoughts on leadership? I'm just re just reflecting on some of the people that I respect in leadership, and you're talking about the kind of the competency and the character. And you know, in my my experience is is you know kind of what you've said is so true that having those two together is so important. I have you know kind of um, but at the same time, I feel like the if someone's competency is not quite right, the character is much more important in that in that kind of you know I'll I'll, I'll still respect the person even if yeah you know, and I'll give them a lot more leeway yeah. 
if even if the systems aren't quite there or they're you know they can see them but they're still working on them they're not you know kind of getting there but i i like them they're a humble person yeah. and i can see you know they're actually living out their faith you know kind of with with me in relationship i agree 100 percent Ian. so what's of the of the two what's what's the priority when you're looking to work with somebody or hire somebody for your organization well character is by far the more you, you, you can teach competence, but it's hard to uh, see the character in somebody change over time. And so you want to have somebody with high character and okay, so they, they may be short on the competence where well, you can teach that or they, they can learn that, but uh, to change somebody's character is a, uh, is a hard job, hard, hard, hard to do. Yeah. So Thank you, Al Lopez, the author of this new book from IVP America called Road to Flourishing, Eight Keys to Boost Employee Engagement and Wellbeing. Thank you to my co-host, Rido, as always, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston, North New Zealand. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure being with you. Thank you. Honour to have you. It. Thank you so much, sir. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.